risk taker, businessman, sports and entertainment promoter, and passionate about making Florida the best place to live, shop, work, and play. It's time for the Joe Mullins Radio Show. Hello, Florida. This is Joe Mullins of the Live, Work, Shop, Play Show. And good morning and good afternoon in some of our areas and throughout the whole country. We want to say hello and uh, thank everybody for tuning in today or podcasting or Zooming in, however you do it today. We want to welcome everybody and uh, remind everyone, if you want to reach out to the show and you want to... um, if you want to reach out to us and give us any show topics or anything, reach out on Live Workshop Play Florida Instagram or uh, Facebook. We'd be glad to have your comments and follow us. We've got some great shows ahead in this amazing year. This year, 2024, is probably the most crucial year. As we've seen, some of the primaries happen. We've got it. We all know we've got a big election coming up. Some of the things that we're dealing with that y'all heard from Senator Scott prior is border security is the structure of our economy and how it's going, how the uh, DOJ is being used against Americans to fight and to take away their rights. Uh, Some of the other important issues are fentanyl and drug overdose. And as we've seen in many areas, one state makes a huge, huge difference. We've turned around and seen Colorado. We've seen Maine try to remove our president or our candidate, our conservative candidate, who we've seen in several primaries now, who has led the way, and he has won multiple primaries. The Probably the most notable is Idaho that he kicked off, and man, did he do a great job on that a few weeks ago. But with today's guest, I've got a guy who is tired of sitting around. He's tired of seeing our country fall apart. He's a family man. He's running for Congress in North Carolina. Uh, Matt Shoemaker. Matt, welcome to the show. Joe, thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Now, Matt, you, you've served, you, you were a little bit above and beyond. You've not just are, are wanting to serve in our government and our political system, but you have served in our armed forces. And let's tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what made you, you know, where you come from and what made you decide to run for Congress in North Carolina. Absolutely. So up until about six, seven months ago, I was on active duty orders with the Navy as an intelligence officer. I was running intelligence operations against the Russians and the Chinese, something I've been doing uh, for the Defense Department for almost 10 years at this point. And, you know, what got me involved in this was to see how much uh, unaccountability there is, not just in the Department of Defense, but in government in general. People are just allowed to get into what is what I call institutionalized thinking. That was the thing that got me off the sidelines because of a couple experiences that I had. But a little bit about me is, you know, I'm from a a big military family. Interestingly enough, you know, my family goes back in terms of military service all the way back virtually every generation to the American Civil War, excuse me, the American Revolution, which is, uh, you know, just a wonderful thing. I don't have a Lieutenant Dan situation going on, at least. Uh, only one of my relatives died in combat in the War of 1812. So there's been a little bit of time. But it's it's kind of like the family business. It's in my bones to, to just give back and to be part of the community. And that's what North Carolina needs. We need someone who's genuine, who's been there, who's put themselves on the line. Uh, and that's what I'm here for. You know, Matt, I, I recently met with a, a mother and a listener of our show And she said her son was looking at going into the Navy, and she was very upset about it. And she brought up a very valid point. She said, you know, 
this is not a decision that impacts him. It impacts his brothers, his sisters, me, his father, uh, the other relatives, his family. And I really started thinking about that. And I said, you know, the decision to go in and serve our military isn't something that someone just makes on themselves. It impacts many people around them. And I asked her, I said, why, why are you upset about him going? He was wanting to go to West Point and begin a career. I said, why are you upset about that? She goes, because I have no faith in this commander in chief, the guy that's leading this military, this leading this uh, country and the people that he has around him are some of the worst. And I don't want to get my son blatantly killed for nothing and and put out there in the risk. And I started thinking about that. And I said, you know, that is a true point. When you guys go to military, when you guys go and serve in the military, you're under your rule and under the direction of the president of the uh, commander in chief, the, you know, the president commander in chief, and then also the people they put over to the department of defense. And if they're making messages, Matt, like go out there and serve the serve the um, country, and then they turn around and tell uh, the Middle East or China or Russia, we're going to send troops, but we're not allowing them to go into combat. We're going to send troops. We're going to basically send you over there to police the area and stand around and help keep the order, but you cannot use force. That right mm-hmm. there is sending a message. You're, it's almost like sending a police officer into the worst parts of Chicago and saying, we're not allowing him to bring a gun. He's coming with a badge, and y'all got to respect that badge. How does that make you feel as a, a soldier and as a, a person who served in the military and the thought of our kids going in behind this? Absolutely. So I think that there are two sort of conflicting thoughts going through there and my heart certainly goes out to that mother because she's got a perfectly genuine and valid complaint uh and concern with regards to that and my my thought is you know that on the one hand you know th- this country is bigger than our commander in chief no matter who it is you know no matter how much i severely dislike the current occupant in the white house you know our country is bigger than that and so when i was serving in uniform uh, under him, you know, I perhaps wasn't as uh, happy, if you will, as as I was under the the uh, under President Trump. But but it is still giving back to the country. So from that angle, I I would say that you know the, the country is bigger than the president. But on the other hand, though, too, you know, I experienced that wokeness in the military that that mother was describing. I saw it firsthand, and it is having a severe impact, not just on the seventeen, eighteen, nineteen year olds joining. But it's also, and this doesn't come up in the in the in the media too much. It has an impact on guys who are serving 17, 18, 19, 20 years. As soon as they hit their 20, they want to get out at this point. They are sick and tired of the bureaucracy of the wokeness. And that's what I saw. So for example, if any of you remember the the uh um the uh, extremism in the ranks stand down that the military had about three years ago. I discovered that it cost it wasted uh, between 250 and 400 million dollars in wasted man hours just for that alone. But you also might have heard just about last month or so that 231 uh, current and former members of the military contacted the Joint Chiefs of Staff demanding accountability of the Joint Chiefs for how they treated the armed forces during COVID when they kicked out over 9000 
service members for refusing to get the, the COVID shot. And when they denied over 36,000 religious exemptions for the COVID shot, I was one of those 231 signature, uh, signatures. I was one of those individuals who, you know, I'm still in the reserves nowadays and I know how the world works, right? I know that especially for us conservatives, there's going to be potentially retribution. I'm willing to put myself on the line and that's what we got to do. We got to have people who stand up. We got to have people who are willing to say, even in the face of, you know, authority, I'm not everyone's, I'm, I'm nobody's yes man and I'm here to do what's right. You know, we're speaking about this and the importance of it. And someone asked me, Joe, why do you have these people from all over the country come on the show? Number one, we are podcasted and played all over the country. Number two, 80 percent of Florida's residents come from different states or have dual um, dual citizenship in different states. Uh, some most of them have dual in countries, but um, they they have different states. We in Florida have, and I can tell you a few of them right off the hand, Corey Mills, uh, Brian Mast, uh, Mike Waltz, and probably a dozen more congressmen that are former military. And one of the most important things, most of Florida's the biggest portion of retired military is in Florida. We have a tremendous amount of people here. And what I tell everybody is the reason we put other people on, we saw in Georgia a few years ago how one election seat, one seat made a difference in our country. It shifted the power of the Senate. One seat in Congress can shift the power in Congress. Every state matters. Florida alone cannot have strong conservative leaders, and we watch states like Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Texas, those flip and go to different directions in different areas. I mean, one of the most important things I think we realize, and I'd love to talk to you about this and kind of bring it back into the country. How do you feel in Congress, and Senator Scott was just on it, talking about making stronger bills where they couldn't do this. The states can't decide who's going to be president. This is a national thing. How do you feel about a state like Colorado in Maine turning around telling conservatives, you can vote for whoever you want to, that we approve to put on the ballot? That is not freedom of, that's not what you guys went and defended this country and defended us from the rest of the world. It's almost like you won the battle overseas, but we're losing it in the American soul. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I see what's going on in in Colorado and Maine and other parts of the country. And, you know, all I can think of is, you know, how Stalin-esque is that? You know, that that we are approving or disapproving who can be on the ballot based off of those sorts of criteria. That's exactly what Iran does. You know, these are regimes, you know, Stalin killed about 20 million of his own people. Iran has killed, you know, numerous people. God knows how many that they've killed over these sorts of things. So for to see Democrats taking a leaf out of that playbook is is extremely uh, disheartening, to say the least, but disturbing uh, nonetheless. Uh, and the only thing that I could say for that is, you know, you we look at how Colorado did it in particular. And from although I'm not a lawyer, just looking at it, you know, face value and, and, and seeing how it's been talked about in legal circles, it seemed to be more of a PR stunt than anything else, which, you know, for for the judiciary to act in such a way, you know, I would be extremely supportive of, you know, the the state legislature in Colorado taking a severe hard look at who exactly it is that they have on their Supreme Court 
and whether or not those individuals need to be removed for for dereliction of duty or for inappropriate behavior. You know, it, we can't allow this to be tolerated. We just have to keep at it and show that the we can show the country that the, you know the Republican Party, the conservative America First values are the things that are going to save this country, and it's what's going to save freedom. You know, we 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 sit here and think, okay, that's in Colorado, that's in California, that's in Maine. But many of these southern states are starting to see people flee from that area. It's almost like a locust. They've eaten up their prosperity of their area. They've torn it apart. Now they're moving into another area going, hey, we know we can't eat it up as fast. We can't tear apart our economy. But by habit, that's what they do. It's mm-hmm. just what they do. They tear apart, a, uh, you know, they eat until they destroy the area. So they're bringing their habits into the area. They're changing uh, some of the dialogue and some of the focus that we have. And I tell people every day, and, and I think it's very important with North Carolina, and we'll speak about that. North Carolina very easily could flip and become a Colorado. Colorado was like North Carolina was mm-hmm. 10 years Absolutely. ago. And look at it today. Absolutely. So my, my thought process with regards to that is that the Republican Party has not done a very good job reaching out to younger generations of Americans. And we haven't done a very good job uh, trying to explain what conservatism really means. For the past 20 years or so, in my estimation, conservatism has largely been the brakes on the progressive train that the leftists have been trying to push. You know, at this point, though, the brakes are out from a, a conservative standpoint, I think, in terms of we can't just be you know hitting the brakes in terms of saying, no, 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 we have to provide an actual alternative. And by that, I mean, when it comes to things like reaching out to a younger generation of Americans, you know, I'm 35 years old. I, I look younger than I am, which is, uh, you know, it could, it's an asset and it's a problem at times. But it, it, I believe it's an asset in that I can reach generations that haven't traditionally been part of the Republican Party. And we do that by talking to the issues that matter most to them. And the matter, the issue that matters most to the younger generation right now is home ownership more than anything else. And the reason why, not just because it's difficult for them to get uh, to buy a home at this point, but because the goalposts in their estimation have been viewed to be moved. You know, three years ago, the average down payment of the house was roughly about $40,000. Still a lot of money for, for someone just coming out of school or just uh, getting involved in, you know, their, their jobs to save up that much money. But now fast forward three years, the average cost of a house is $416,000 in this country. You know, so the, the down payment for that has shifted, has almost doubled. So if you almost saved $40,000 to buy a house and now you find out you need 80,000 to do it, you know, you just feel like you can't get ahead and you're a younger generation. So we Republicans need to be reaching out to them and talking about the issues that matter most to them. And we can show them that our way, that the, the way of freedom is the better way than the Democratic handouts that are just going to enslave them. Well, I think a lot of the listeners, too, need to understand the importance of their congressman and their role. You guys help balance the budget. You help with the economy you help. I mean, we got a deficit. This uh, the biggest that we've ever seen in the history of the world. And it's unbelievable. And it just keeps getting approved and pushed and pushed. And we're pushing that envelope down. And at some point, you know, I'm this way. I would rather take the pain, Matt, today than to give it to my kids in the future. I want them to have a better start. And what we're doing is just the opposite. We're pushing it down on them. Border. Let's talk about the border. You being military, how are your feelings on the border and the uncontrollable situation we have there? It's disgusting. 
You know, and the thing that that bothers me most about the way that President Biden and the Democrats are dealing with this issue is that it's not even that they're not dealing with it. They're not even paying lip service to us. Virtually every single person in this country recognizes that the immigration policies that we've been pushing for the past three years are not working. And you don't even hear from the Biden administration that, you know, we understand that this is a problem. We're doing all we can to solve it. They're not even saying that. They're just ignoring the issue entirely as if our concerns don't matter. That's what bothers me the most than anything else. But when it comes to actually solving the issue of the border, you know, I, you know, President Reagan was filled with amazing one-liners. And one that always stuck with me is when he said the solution to a lot of our problems are simple, but they're not easy. And yet we know this is not rocket science. We know how to get control of the border. You, you know, you, you back up the, the immigration custom enforcement, you back up, you know, border and uh, the border patrol, you build that wall. These are simple solutions to it and they work, but they're not easy to do because you got opposition coming from the Democrats. So that's what we got to do. You know, uh, several congressmen uh, and one in particular in Georgia, Rick Allen had called me. He had just gotten back from the border and he said, Joe, you won't believe how bad it is. He goes, it's like Tijuana was back in the 80s and 90s when we went down there. And he said, you see filth running down the water. You see trash everywhere. You see people everywhere. He said, it makes the street corners of California look like Beverly Hills or like uh, some of the highest in uh, Rodeo Avenue. But he said, um, he goes, compared to what we saw in Tijuana in the 80s, he goes, I would drink that water in the 80s before I would even let the water touch me that we're seeing today. And I, yeah. I couldn't believe what he said and the filth and the, the grime. But the media doesn't want to report this. The media wants to hide it. The media wants to focus on President Trump and all the, that he's, he's supposedly illegally done. It's amazing. We have convicted, or if you're a strong conservative Republican, you're convicted. You actually, this is the way the DOJ works. You're, con, you're guilty until you can prove you're innocent unless yeah. you're a Democrat and you have cocaine in the White House and then it's OK. How are your feelings yeah. Yeah. with the DOJ and what, what can Congress do to help push back on that? Yeah. Or what it, can it, you do it, in Congress? Yeah, absolutely. It, it is amazing just to, to piggyback off of your thought process that, that Hunter Biden's booger sugar, if you will, you know, can can make it into multiple different areas of the White House and the Secret Service and and uh, investigators just throw up their hands and say, you know, we oh, we have no idea whose it is. Really, you couldn't pull fingerprints off a, a plastic bag. That's impressive when, you know, the NYPD can get people's DNA off of a pizza crust and then get a conviction out of that. You know, it's just absolutely you know ridiculous when you see some of these things coming out of the Department of Justice. Now, now what I see as one of the biggest issues in the Department of Justice isn't just you know, we, we keep talking about this notion that it's it's just a few bad apples at the top, you know, and, and this kind of piggybacks into the segment or a section about, you know, the deep state, if you will. And I think that this works, this, you know, this weaponization of government against particularly against conservatives is, you know, when I was in DOD, I saw flashes of what would be described as the deep state, you know, and the flashes that I saw, it wasn't coming from. You know, the the high level, you know, uh, the ivory towers of, of upper echelon. It wasn't this mustache twirling villain 
you know, that existed there. Because in all honesty, that would make life a lot easier. You just take up, take off the top, you know, row, and then, you know, you can go from there and, and problem solved. What I saw was more of an institutionalized culture that allowed for this to happen, where where the leftists that were there would push the envelope between what was acceptable and what was unacceptable. And depending on how high up, you know, uh, in terms of support that they got, that envelope could continuously be pushed. Now, one of the ways that I saw it actually being taken care of in DOD was when I had a few really wonderful commanding officers who every single day that we had a meeting together, they would start it off by saying, we are going to keep politics out of this. I want your best effort and you tell me what's going on. They made it a priority that people leave their biases and their political leanings behind and they get the job done. That's it. I mean, that's the weird thing that it's, it, it just requires us to say that this is important. This is what we got to do. And, and that's how we solve this problem. That's it. That's the way it's going to be. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough because it's going to require all of us to put our necks out on the line, if you will, to get out on a branch and, and, and risk, you know, being unpopular risk, you know, cut, getting some incoming fire for it, but that's what we got to do. You know, to, to let our listeners know, and again, reiterate why it's so important. Uh, I'm just going to use me for an example. I'm a very big property owner in North Carolina. I deal with a lot of businesses out of North Carolina, one of our corporate businesses up there. If that state gets impacted, we lose one of our conservative states that is helping hold the foundation. It's almost like a table. If you guys can picture legs to a table, you got four legs in Georgia and Florida and North Carolina and South Carolina, one of those in the southeast. If we lose one of those legs, that table's chances of staying are, are very slim, no matter how strong Florida is, no matter how strong anything else is. Also, I want to remind people, most of our banking in the southeast comes from North Carolina. Oh, yeah. It's important to have strong leaders like you, people coming in like you that are representing. Guys, one vote, one vote, Matt, you know, that's what's so scary. One vote can change the direction of the country. Absolutely. Your seat is so much important. And also having people who understand and want to get out to the community. I've watched your election. I've watched you run. You're very hands-on. You're communicating with the people. You are a true uh, person of the grassroots, which shows that your leadership will be the same way. So many people call me and say, hey, I can't get my congressman to ever return my call. I can't get him to pay attention. He's always up on uh, on the news or he's on TV. And, um, you know, it, the joke is the best time, the most effective Congress is, is when they're on vacation. And <laughs> I just laughed and I said, that's that's true. We got to get strong leaders because we, we got that problem. How can the listeners support you and what can they do to help uh, bring get you in the finish off this job and get you into the, the Congress to represent the South, the East, the country? Absolutely. So just uh, to, to answer that question directly, visit my website at votemjs.com. And I'm on Twitter at votemjs and Facebook at Matt Shoemaker for Congress. You know, my slogan in this race as a former intelligence officer is to defund stupidity and send intelligence to D.C. And that's what I, I want to bring to Congress. And I was the first individual in my race 
to officially endorse President Trump to be president of the United States again. You know, that's how willing I am to put myself out there and to risk my reputation in order to stand up for what's right. On top of that as well is this notion that, you know, we, uh, I, unfortunately, being a veteran, cannot bankroll myself. I can't try and buy the seat by pumping hundreds of thousands of dollars into this. I need your help. And even if you guys can only donate $10 or so, that money's going to go towards reaching voters to get them out to the polls and to bring intelligence to D.C. Matt, I want to thank you for joining us. And I want to remind our listeners, this is a crucial, important year. We've got to stand strong. We've got to fight. We've got to stand. We've got to fight. And we have to win for our future of our kids and our country. Matt, you have been an amazing guy serving this country. There's no reason we want anyone should want to see what you the sacrifices you've made in your family and your life and the risk you've taken and the many soldiers that aren't here today to turn around and speak and, and give their voice. There's no reason we need to let our country fall in, inside the country when we have protected it as strong as outside with people like you. I want to thank you for joining us and remind the listeners, live, workshop, play Florida. And let's get Matt Shoemaker in Congress this year, 2024. Have a great day.